Welcome to Steel Stories by US Steel. In this podcast, we explore the wealth of knowledge from leading industry experts to help you navigate the infinitely developing, renewable world of steel. Welcome back to Steel Stories by US Steel. I'm your host, David Kirkpatrick. We cannot sustain modern life without some form of steel. It's made from some of the most abundant materials on earth, and it's all around us. Steel is in our homes, our vehicles, our schools, our bridges and buildings. It's in our technologies, our phones, tablets, and computers. For every industry that relies on steel, challenges of a vulnerable global supply chain, a pandemic recession, and government policies calling for a reduction in carbon emissions have amplified the need to not only grow domestic manufacturing here in the United States, but also to turn the concept of made in America to made sustainably in America. In this episode, we'll explore those challenges inside a sector that relies heavily on steel, non-residential construction. Here with me today is Mike Martinetti, Vice President of Sales for CSC Steel, and Ben Trotter, Director of Sales for U.S. Steel. So welcome and thanks for being here today. And welcome to both of you. Mike, why don't you first just tell us what you do exactly? Thanks, David, and thank you for having me. Hey, my name is Mike Martinetti. I'm the Vice President of Sales for CSC. I've been with CSC for about 13 years, and I've been in the joist and deck industry for about 15 years. I'm an engineer by education. I've been in the joist and deck industry, like I said, for 15 years, but I've been in various roles in both engineering and sales. Terrific. Ben, let's hear from you. Yeah, thanks, David. And thanks, Michael, for joining. I'm a sales director with U.S. Steel. I've been with the company about 17 years, various phases of the commercial sector with you know customer service and marketing and now in sales. My responsibility today is responsibility for the construction, some of our industrial equipment and our industrial container business. So I can see a C or a customer of mine. Terrific. Thanks so much. So, Mike, maybe you should just tell us a little bit about CSC and what it does. Sure. CSC is Can-Am Steel Corporation. So we've been manufacturing open web steel joist and, and steel deck for over 50 years, one of the major manufacturers in the U.S. As Can-Am Steel Corporation, we were the U.S. side of the Canadian-founded Can-Am Group, which is a big joist and deck and steel fabricator in Canada. But since the last three years, we actually are separate from them. And now we're CSC is the U.S. arm operating independently. So we have about six plants in the U.S., both joist and deck. We employ about 1,200 people, and we take part in about 4,000 non-residential projects every year, ranging from maybe your small strip mall to real big jobs. We did stadiums like U.S. Bank Stadium, Mercedes Bank Stadium. We finished some high-rise towers, Manhattan West and one Vanderbilt in New York City. We did the Hard Rock Hotel in Florida. So a huge variety of different projects we get to get involved in and, and supply the joist and deck. We're not owned by a steel mill. So we're buying steel essentially on the market and we're from all different sources and we're converting it into steel joist and steel deck for uh, all these different projects. Really cool. And actually in your list, you have one Vanderbilt. That is a really flashy building. I think that's seen right now as kind of the ultimate standard for a modern Manhattan skyscraper. It's a very impressive building right next to Grand Central. So very cool. But what the heck are Joyce and Deck? Could you just explain that? 
I get that question a lot. And what I like to tell people is if you go to Home Depot or go to Walmart, look up at the ceiling and you see joists and deck. It, it basically makes up the roof structure. Steel joists are a bunch of different steel members welded together to create these truss-like members that span really long distances efficiently and, and they support the roof. We make joists for all different kinds of applications, like we said. So joists could be you know, 10 feet long, they could be 200 feet long, or they could be 10 wow. inches deep up to, you know, we've done joists over 10 feet deep. So they're very versatile in accomplishing long open spaces. And that's why you see them in retail stores like that. They're very popular in warehouses, you know, schools, when you go into the, the gym or the cafeteria and you look up, you know, they need big open spaces. So they're typically supporting roof or sometimes floor structures to create those open spaces. And then the deck, we're taking coil, which is something U.S. Steel makes, and we're roll forming it into different profile shapes. And that sits on top of either joists or beams or other structural members to essentially create the structural component of the roof that supports your, you know, it might be your snow load or your all the different types of loads that's applied to the roof. Or another application like, David, you're talking about one Vanderbilt, which was about a 60 some story high rise in New York City, every floor, you'll have the beams. And then you'll have deck that's laid out, which holds the concrete that creates composite slabs to make all the floors. So a joist and a beam are kind of the same thing in a way, right? They're both structural members. They're definitely used for different applications. The joists, because you're creating this uh, geometry, you're actually saving a lot of weight to span the, the distance. So each has their own best use, depending on the case. Like we're in more retail and warehouse space. And like I said, the gyms and whatnot in schools, whereas beams might be on the skyscraper type floors with heavier loads. I see. And supporting the floors. When you say it's from 10 inches deep to 10 feet deep, that's, yeah. we might think of that as wide, right? By common parlance. Well, when you look up at the ceiling from the top of the truss to the bottom of the truss could be 10 feet deep. Oh, I see. It's the distance from the ceiling to the bottom of the joist. Yep. If you okay. have to span really long distances, you need the depth. But at the end of the day, that member weighs a lot less than a solid beam. I got it. Okay. And of course, when you corrugate steel, you give it new strength characteristics. I guess that's something an ignoramus like myself doesn't give much thought to, but that's very cool. So let's talk a little bit about the relationship between CSC and U.S. Steel. You know, either one of you, give us a little bit of the picture there. Hey, the relationship between U.S. Steel and CSC goes way back. It, it actually goes all the way back to the 60s. And CSC was actually uh, several acquisitions in the U.S., one of which was United Steel Deck. That United Steel Deck was a private company way back then, and it was actually started by a man named Nicholas Boris, and he spent two decades of his career working for U.S. Steel before he founded United Steel Deck. So right from the start of United Steel Deck, there was a natural partnership being with his relationship with U.S. Steel, and really that's remained solid ever since. U.S. Steel is making the coils that are shipped to our deck plants to convert into steel deck all throughout right. the country. You do buy from other steel companies, but you've got a very tight relationship with U.S. Steel, it sounds like, right? We do. Like I said, we're the largest uh, Joyce and Deck supplier that's not owned by a mill. So we buy on the open market. So we see the perspectives all over. But U.S. Steel is a longstanding partner with us um, that we've done a lot of projects with and you know continue to explore new opportunities. Terrific. Ben, anything to add to that? Yeah, I agree with Mike. I mean, this is a relationship that goes back 50, 60 years uh, from the 60s, 70s, from the United Steel deck days. 
We have a longstanding partnership. It's really neat to see kind of the story in terms of how long some of these relationships can last. Of course, some of us in this call may not have been in this early stages, but it's great to kind of take it forward. I do like to tell kind of our collective story from a sustainability perspective. I mean, just thinking about not only sustainability, but just, you know, what our steel's going into. You know, I'm learning from Mike today in terms of just the different applications, but, you know, we supply steel coils. They convert it to joist and deck, and then we're a customer. I mean, you think about all the different buildings and applications that he spoke about. We have a need at our facilities as we have greenfield sites. We have facilities as they come up. Our big potential customer there. So, um, like I said, it's a great partnership if you look at that steel all the way throughout the supply chain. Yeah, one thing as a longtime business journalist, I've always been amazed to learn about is the ecosystems that emerge in various industries, and they are very complicated and very rich and dense. And this is a great example of that. So let's talk a little bit about the non-residential construction industry. What's changing about it? How should a sort of ordinary person think about that whole system? I think there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about construction right now. And you know, is it slowing down? Is it you know, what does demand look like? And like I said, we participate in over 4,000 projects a year, ranging from pretty small to very big jobs. So we get a pretty good sense of what's going on. I'm extremely optimistic about non-residential construction. There's some short-term, maybe uncertainty or pause right now, just with the macroeconomic condition, but demand is absolutely outstanding. We see all kinds of projects in the pipeline and there's all kinds of reasons. I could probably talk for quite a while on it, Give us a couple examples of the categories that you think about, the key categories. Everybody's familiar with infrastructure and the government's investing money in infrastructure. And that that could be not necessarily even stuff that we're working on. It could be you know bridges. The U.S. highway system and, and the bridge system, it's no secret that there's a lot of work to be done. And a lot of that requires a lot of steel. But as far as the non-residential building sector that we see, there's just a lot of change going on in what people want. Office is a great example. COVID changed a lot of things. Before COVID, we were moving to this, everybody wanted an office with wide open spaces. Now we're going back the other way to maybe more different types of office spaces that are not so wide open. More privacy for individuals, for example. Yeah, Yeah, it just, the existing structures aren't necessarily meeting the needs of what people want today. So they're looking at renovating or building new structures. The population shift, we're seeing a uh, huge amount of demand in you know places away from the major cities in the northeast and the west coast like Texas and and the south there's a lot of population shifts moving that way and that requires all type of infrastructure you know schools hospitals let alone all the housing that gets built for that so we're seeing a lot of activity in that place in the areas of the country that are maybe more established we're seeing a lot of replacement so the schools and hospitals there are becoming outdated. And there it becomes more of a knockdown and rebuild type situation where there's not as much land, but there's a lot of that going on. And of course, warehouses, that's a huge business, right? Yeah, for us, it's been absolutely huge the last two, three years. After COVID, everybody wanted a warehouse and the Joyce and Deck industry absolutely went nuts as far as demand goes. There's several things driving it. One is just people looking at supply chains and, and yeah, just in time is great. But if you don't have inventory, you have nothing to sell. And we saw how the supply chains broke down during uh, COVID. Hmm. So there's a lot of that. The shift to e-commerce right now, only a little over 20% of retail sales are e-commerce. I live in New Jersey and I can buy something online and I can have it delivered tomorrow 
or it's easy to get addicted to, let's say. So, and I'm in a pretty populated area. There's a lot of areas in the country that don't have that luxury yet and still need to be built out. So we see a huge demand to really get the infrastructure in place as e-commerce grows. There's plenty more. We'll get back to other aspects of that. But Ben, from your standpoint, U.S. Steel, how are you looking at the changes that are happening in non-residential construction? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say in the short term, we're seeing a lot of positivity. You know, I, I think everybody knows that we've got a little bit of a softening housing market, but the non-residential side has been very good. You know, we've seen it in our order book, you know, here in, in the past few months, just restarted the second blast furnace at Mon Valley, and that's going to help support the construction market because we've seen the demand. I agree that there's definite concerns from a macroeconomic perspective as people look too far into the future. But like I said, I mean, in the short term, we're seeing a lot of positivity. You know, going forward, you know, infrastructure is going to be a big catalyst for, you know, Joyce and Deck, but also, like Mike said, bridges and just different spending and building for to support America. I think that's going to be critical. There are definite shifts happening as well. I mean, obviously, Mike said, you know, office space down, warehouses up, it went through e-commerce is like the easiest way to explain, you know, that shift and and where the demand has gone from a building perspective. So we see positivity, backlogs are good. The associated builders and contractors backlog is up, up over nine months. That's a good story. That's positive in in terms of what we see from a future outlook. So I'd say things are bright on the non-res sector. And I think we expect that to continue. So when you say nine months, that means you can see order flow as all the way out to nine months. And that's a fairly lengthy period to have that shows a really healthy industry. That's really cool. Let's just talk a little bit about why steel, why people like steel. I mean, obviously there's plenty of other stuff, concrete and wood and other things. What are the advantages of steel that you guys talk to your customers about and that they get excited about? It's steel, it's really strong and it's durable. But I think what people don't realize is it's a real easy and flexible material to make things out of. And so obviously we, we buy steel and make things out of it every day, but it's pretty flexible, especially for construction. Basically, it affords you the opportunity to really be making things both in the shop and on site. So we talk about off-site manufacturing activity. There's a lot of that. Essentially, you can create a situation on site that it's very easy and quick to erect a building with steel because a lot of the work and labor can be done in the manufacturing. And of course, it's extremely recyclable. Once steel's done in one application, it gets torn down, recycled, and right into the next application. So it's a very green material in the sense that it's reusable. It's not thrown in a landfill, typically. Ben, do you find, is there actually situations where people are thinking of using another material and you talk about what you can do for them at U.S. Steel and they say, you know what, okay, I'm going to go with steel instead. Is that kind of thing something that happens? I see a lot in the construction world. I love Mike's uh, value proposition. I'd love to bring him into our, to our team to pitch steel. <laughs> but I think that, you know, in his business, he'll see it a lot more to his customers. You know, the customers that we sell to are typically in the steel business, but we're an advocate of the industry. We support a lot of different trade associations, a lot of different groups that, you know, to have these conversations because, yeah, I mean, the strength, the durability and the sustainability aspect are all just absolute valid reasons that steel should be the product of choice. Well, let's talk about sustainability exactly in in a little more detail. When we say sustainable steel, what do we mean? Ben, maybe you could start with that and we'll go to Mike. Yeah, there's a a lot of different ways to make steel. You know, the two main applications, you have blast furnace production, you have EAF production, electric arc furnace. Um, U.S. Steel has the capability of 
we have the best for all strategy. We have capability to do both. You know, when you look at sustainable steel, a lot of people are tracking uh, emissions level carbon intensity. The EAF product produces a lower carbon emission product. And when you're looking at sustainable steel, a lot of customers are looking to go that route in the future. The U.S. is the leader in that as an overall industry. And so, you know, we kind of stand out from the rest of the globe. Well, and another piece that's interesting is that EAF mills are using steel that's essentially recycled, right? That's a huge carbon advantage in itself. Just talk a little bit about how the market is viewing that piece of it. Great point. I mean, so, you know, specifically talking about construction, I mean, we're seeing a lot more projects that are starting to require sustainable steel. We see it on public projects. We see it a little bit more on the West Coast. You know, I think at first we started to see customers poking around at it, trying to get an understanding. They maybe didn't really understand what they were looking for. They might have made sure that they were, you know, qualified to, to do a certain thing. But now I see that shifting more towards not just sustainability, but just true ESG. Companies are looking to get better, to improve their process. And it's ingrained in the company's cultures that we sell to. We're starting to see more demand in other industries, uh, HVAC, appliances, the auto industry for sure, construction. So, you know, we're seeing it in a lot of different areas. It's a big positive for the U.S. economy as we go forward. So you're saying that historically, policy and legal requirements were driving a lot of the demand for sustainable steel, but now people just want to do it. Is that what you're seeing, Mike, also? Yeah, it's, it's definitely driving buying decisions. You know, as corporate responsibility becomes more of a driving force in purchasing decisions, sustainability is at the top of the list. The interesting thing is sustainability has been around for a long time as far as the term, but it's, especially in the steel industry, it's gone through kind of an evolution as to what does that mean? Uh, you know, 10 years ago, sustainability meant, you know, how much recycled content do you have? That's how you measured what good looks like for sustainability in steel and also how far are you trucking it from the mill? So it was pretty elementary in that aspect. And we've gotten a lot more sophisticated in the steel industry over the last 10 years as far as defining that, because there's a couple things to keep in mind. Uh, yes, recycled content is great. It is a definitely a good indicator of sustainability, but there are a lot of other things that go into steelmaking that you also need to look at. You know, you guys are talking about the EAF mills and that's with sustainable steel, but you have to remember the EAF mills are primarily using scrap as demand for steel continues to increase in the U.S. We do need new steel. So we do need the old blast furnaces that are making steel out of raw materials like iron ore and whatnot just to keep putting more steel into the system. But there's ways to make that sustainably. You know, there's a lot of work being put into using hydrogen as far as powering those mills and, and examples like that. So there's a, a lot of effort being put into by the steel industry to really solve this problem. It's being taken very seriously and a lot of money and effort is being put forth, like I said, to solve the problem. But one thing that, that I think we picked up in some of the preparing for this that I found intriguing is, you know, we have this huge movement toward electric vehicles in the world and especially in the United States, which is really accelerating. The automakers we heard earlier are really to some extent, leading the demand for sustainable steel. But it sounds like also, you know, even in the value proposition that they're trying to present to their customers, they want to be able to say everything about the manufacture of that vehicle was as sustainable as we can make it, which makes them even want to use sustainable steel in the building of the factories they build those cars in. Is that exaggerating what I just said? No, I think you're right. I, those are perfect examples of where we're really seeing the pull 
on our end for you know a look at sustainability. It's started with government and some of the larger companies that are really leading the way in this push. Yeah, I mean, Ben, anything you want to add to that? That's pretty cool stuff, actually. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. I think you're seeing it more and more kind of throughout all phases of the supply chain. I think there was, you know, at first it might have just been, okay, we're going to focus on this, but then it's trying to understand your scope one, your scope two, your scope three emissions all the way throughout the process. It's, um, I think we're seeing a real shift. And I think that shift is happening because there's a much better understanding of what people want to do with their future. Yeah, we are in a climate crisis and we really have to shift a lot of stuff really fast. And it's so interesting talking about steel because we cannot do without steel. But steel has been a very energy intensive process to make historically. So the innovation that's happening around reducing that energy intensity and the other aspects of sustainability is extremely exciting. It's very important, but also really strikes me that, you know, there's this sort of pull happening across the market. It starts with the consumer who says, you know, I want to have as low of a carbon footprint as I can. And then their suppliers, automakers, for example, or even building makers, construction companies are saying, yeah, okay, we can serve you by giving you products and buildings that are less energy intense and more sustainable. And then you guys both come into the picture. So it's, it's really kind of a, a beautiful thing that we see happening. So let's talk a little bit about how policy fits into that, because we've seen some huge changes in government policy around construction and sustainability in the recent period. I mean, we have the infrastructure bill that's been a gigantic shift. And then even bigger than that in terms of dollars was the Inflation Reduction Act that passed in 2022, which, you know, has over $370 billion in incentives for climate-friendly systems and technologies and a lot of tax benefits, et cetera. So how do you guys see government policy playing into the business that you're serving and, and your customers thinking? I think it's definitely driving it in that direction. Kind of first step is the government is investing a lot of money in infrastructure and various buildings, and they're requiring sustainable steel. So they're they're leading by example in that aspect. They're also part of this, and, and Ben had mentioned it, was you know the U.S. steel industry is leading the way in this charge. So the steel industry, if you look globally, doesn't look great, but the U.S. steel industry is far ahead of some other countries in sustainability. So the government policy basically by mandating domestic steel is pushing sustainability in that sense. It's supporting a healthy U.S. steel industry to continue to make those changes to be more responsible. Yes, you, you can import steel. Sometimes you could save money on imported steel, but there's a reason. There's a cost to all the investment going into the sustainability initiatives. And if we don't support it, we're never going to get there. So the government really in trade policies, in like I said, just specifying domestic product is really pushing the country in that direction. Well, not to mention just it's such a heavy thing, steel. The less you can transport it, the less energy and emissions you're going to produce. I would just double down on you know a couple of things. I mean, the first one is infrastructure is obviously when you think about government policy, I think investment in infrastructure is critical to our future. Another thing is fair trade. Economic security is a big, important factor. We need to always be looking at not only fair trade, but if the U.S. steel mills are investing in you know, sustainability and creating a more sustainable product, we need to make sure that the products coming in are following the same rules. 
following the same expectations. So I think those are really when I think of you know the government support, I think we've gotten that support in those areas. I think that this infrastructure bill and considering fair trade are the two key factors. Are people in the non-residential construction industry talking a lot about the impact of the infrastructure bill and the IRA, which really are kind of historic in the scale of government intervention, in a sense? And people are even starting to say it has echoes of the New Deal, the quantity of government support that's going towards both infrastructure and sustainable innovation. There's a lot of talk about it, and people are very excited about it. I could say the probably the frustrating part from people like me and Ben who are ready to build things now. You know, it's just taken a long time to get shovels in the ground. So they approved the IRA and then they had to go through all the approval processes and whatnot to get these things going. But I think this year in 2023, we're going to start seeing some shovels in the ground. So it's getting very exciting. So basically, really going forward, we're going to see this accelerating more or less for the foreseeable future. Would you both agree with that? Yeah, it's not a short-term project. A lot of the different projects are going to take one, two, three, four, I mean, up five, 10 years as they go through this. So I think this is an incredible investment in the U.S. and I think it's very important, but it's not going to just you know go away once all the projects are built. It's going to take some time. Mike mentioned hydrogen going into blast furnaces, which is super exciting. Are there other things that you guys see coming down the road that could make the use of steel in construction and just generally even more sustainable? I mean, what are the things, the longer term things you think about when you look at how the industry is evolving in this context of sustainability? There's so many touch points. Making steel is not an easy process. So there's so much room to improve and kind of continuous improvement, but look at each part of the process. And I think right now we're at the stage where the steel industry is looking at the big stuff and trying to solve those big problems. But you know, there's probably stage two, stage three kind of review that you continue to improve this process. Yeah. One of the interesting things about, you know, these different stages of carbon emissions that people talk about is that the more we talk about scope three, the more everybody gets sucked into that discussion, right? In scope two as well, which is how your customers use the product you make. And ultimately, it's a very virtuous circle that's being created. And we talk about a circular economy, and that's really what we want to get to long term. And, you know, you guys are at the heart of some of the hardest part of making that happen and doing it, which I find extremely exciting. And I also love that both of you are saying that companies, whether it's construction companies or the customers of the construction companies, are feeling they want to do it even beyond what they're being legally required to do. So talk a little more about that. Companies are really started with scope one and scope two. You know, as a steel supplier to companies like CSC, we're providing them with their scope three emissions, a portion of their scope three, which is what they bring in as their steel. And so as people start to look further and further about all the different processes of their business, that's when sustainable steel comes in play. There's a lot of different new technologies in terms of steel making. You know, EAF was one, but then there's hydrogen. There's other applications. You know, some of these technologies going forward, are, you know, we have stated 2030, 2050 goals. There's probably technologies that may not exist yet. And I think it's just, you know, a constant evolution of improving processes. And I think that's going to be critical to the steel industry. I think that's going to be critical to the construction industry as we move forward. Yeah. You know, the other thing that is interesting that I don't think a lot of people think about is what you both mentioned regarding how 
making steel in America is intrinsically more sustainable than importing it, right? I mean, we've had a lot of discussions about imported steel over the last four or five decades and trade policy, et cetera, et cetera. But even beyond just being patriotic and wanting to see our own economy grow, there are very fundamental reasons why making it here is beneficial. So let's talk a little bit more about supporting American manufacturing, both for steel and for everything, and and how you guys and both of your companies are investing in America's future very consciously. I'd say for us, I mean, we're a a large purchaser of steel on the open market. You know, buying domestically is absolutely preferred. That's the biggest impact we can make as far as being sustainably responsible. The quality of the domestic product is very reliable. And we make our purchasing decisions around that and, and partnerships we have trying to keep a strong domestic presence. We want a strong domestic U.S. steel industry when we need one as a country. We saw during COVID when there was a bit of uncertainty. No one knew what was going to happen with the economy and, and steel production started getting shut down, kind of got caught by surprise that all of a sudden the demand was was actually there and it was very strong. So we got into a you know six to 12 month period where we actually didn't have enough domestic steel capacity to give ourselves a taste of what that would look like. And it, it was it was very difficult. Then you start to realize how many things have steel in them when you can't get them. So we just went through that and that just drives why we need a strong domestic U.S. steel industry for the U.S. When that happened, you had to buy more foreign steel, presumably, in order just to satisfy your customers, right? Yeah, we were pretty much forced to, which is not something we we like to do. You know, the whole world's global supply chain got really uh, out of sorts during that time period. So even that was difficult. But it was a great example of why we need that strength domestically. Talk about the non-residential construction industry as a whole. Just estimating what kind of percentage of foreign steel has been used historically? And what would you say today the percentage is roughly? It's hard to say what exact percentages are. It's definitely reducing as you know, some of the sustainable responsibility requirements are increasing. That's definitely driving it. The government spending yeah. requiring domestic steelers requiring it. But it's a capitalistic environment. So the dollar still talks. So we really need some of these policies and requirements to continue to drive this. Because like I said, this investment in sustainability does cost money. So it does, in essence, put the U.S. steel industry at a, a little bit of a disadvantage on a completely level playing field. But the government has, through trade policies and whatnot, tried to keep tabs on that. During the pandemic, what would you say was the maximum percentage of foreign steel that you guys were having to purchase? Maybe 25%. I mean, we really push hard to not do that, like I said, and leverage our partnerships. We probably did well compared to, to others just based on the length of time and the partnerships we have domestically. Ben, chime in here. How do you see that psychology shifting and the capacity. I mean, you guys are building new capacity like crazy right now, I know, especially in the EAF area, but I think you're talking about everything you're doing is growing, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, we want to support our customers. We want to support our customers domestically. And so, you know, we need to invest in the U.S. market to be able to do that. You know, I think you mentioned, David, that, you know, EAF capacity, we we have two EAFs at Big River and we've announced uh, another Greenfield site to have two more right next door. So we're going to have four EAFs right down at Big River in Osceola, Arkansas. Well, let's just talk a little more about something you mentioned before, the fact that CSD is actually providing U.S. steel with steel for its own facilities. Tell us a little more detail about that. 
goes full circle. So yeah, the big river uh, mill investments that Ben was talking about, we are providing a lot of the steel products, specifically the joists for those uh, facilities. And we had provided some of the product for the original facility in big river. So it's a partnership with US Steel that goes both ways and we're you know works out well for both of us. We're happy to have it. We toured the facility, Mike and I and a few others, six months ago last summer, and we saw a section of Joyce just kind of sitting there waiting to be installed. So uh, it was kind of interesting to see. Yeah, they're going to have 4,000 construction jobs to produce that. And then after, once it's open, I think, you know, about 900 people will work at that mill. So just in this circular loop, we're creating, supporting U.S. manufacturing. And it's exciting. We're seeing similar things all over the country as far as people talk about onshoring and reshoring. We don't necessarily see people pulling out of overseas and bringing stuff back. But when they talk about adding capacity, we see a lot of manufacturing capacity being added domestically. It's exciting. And that's how this country was built, making things. And we're kind of coming full circle back to that. And there's a lot of a lot of projects going on right now. And they're big projects in the manufacturing realm. You know, that's really something I think the jobs piece we haven't really touched much on. And it is a really nice corollary to the benefits of American steel just from a pure sustainability point of view, making more of it here. It also has the other benefit for our country of creating more jobs here. So there really is some super circular benefits of the sustainable transition, which people don't even think about yet. And I mean, people are talking about it regarding the infrastructure bill and and the IRA that, you know, obviously a huge amount of employment is being stimulated by the new government spending. But I love the just the sheer sustainable argument. It makes more sense for all kinds of reasons to make the steel here. And that also creates more American jobs. Yeah, we're seeing that even the private investment, you know, companies make a commitment to being in the U.S. manufacturing I'd say at least matches the the government spending commitment. So that's going to drive construction for the next several years, just that in itself, in our opinion. Wow. Well, thank you all so much for joining us today on Steel Stories. Thank you so much to Mike and to Ben for what has been a super informative conversation. So we'll see you again next time at the next edition of Steel Stories. I'm David Kirkpatrick. Thanks, David. Thanks, Mike. Steel Stories is brought to you by US Steel. To find out more about our sustainable steel solutions and how our best for all strategy allows us to re-envision the future alongside our customers, visit www.ussteel.com. Search for US Steel in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss a future episode. On behalf of the team here at US Steel, thanks for listening.